I want to talk about what they sing about today, the highest place. In the book of Psalms, it's found in the Bible, chapters 146 through 150, they're called the Hallelujah Psalms. All five chapters begin with, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, which can also be translated, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And we all know that Hallelujah means praise ye Jehovah. And so the conclusion of all that is that the Jehovah God of the Old Testament is Jesus of the New. So I believe we could trustly translate that as praise Jesus, praise Jesus. Hallelujah. For Jesus is truly worthy of all of our praise and He deserves the highest place in our lives. Can you say amen? The Psalms are actually Israel's songbook. I don't know if you knew that. But they are a collection of songs written that, are, that were sung by God's people in the tabernacle. You could call them, the, the Psalms, the top 150 songs of all time for the, Israel, for the Israelite nation. There were probably many more songs, but the ones that we have in our Bibles are the ones that actually made it into uh, the book. Another fact is you may have missed this in your studies of music and tabernacle. This week I did an in-depth study. I found that David actually invented many of the instruments that were used. So not only was he a singer and a poet and a composer, he was also an inventor of some of the instruments that they used. Now, please understand this. The same Holy Spirit that inspired David to write so many of those psalms was the same Holy Spirit that inspired other great writers like Isaac Watts wrote Amazing Grace and Fanny Crosby wrote uh, Blessed Assurance. She wrote so many songs that we sing today. Actually, she wrote over 800 songs, and only a few of them we sing today. But the Holy Spirit inspired them. Today, there are men and women that are being inspired of the Holy Spirit to write, and I wrote down just a few of them, Chris Tomlins and Ben Johnson, Dave Crowder. There's a lot of them. That I don't have time to talk about all of them. But the same Holy Spirit that moved on people in the book of Psalms, David and the psalmist, and moved on people of the past years is the same God that is moving on people today. When I hear some of the songs that are being written, my heart just swells up within me, especially like that song we sing today, the highest praise written by Ben Johnson. That, that song just inspires us as if it was a song written uh, 1,500 years ago. It's still just as powerful as it ever was today. Can you say amen? So we got to be careful when we throw stones and of criticism at various styles of music. I've heard people say, well, I prefer the Holy Spirit's earlier works to those of the modern writers. But that's kind of silly because the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit, is the inspiration behind all the songs that give praise to God, and God loves variety. And if you don't believe that, take a look at the millions of things that He has created. He created all kinds of animals, from the elephant down to the earthworm, and from the flowers, every variety of flower you can imagine on the earth to every variety of fish that you can imagine in the sea, from plants to planets, the universe displays the diversity of God and His reflection of His love for variety. Amen. So don't ever be guilty of being one-dimensional when it comes to worship. It's okay for you to have your preferences and traditions, but don't ever make the mistake of thinking God is set in His ways. He is a creator, and He is still creating great songs today. Amen. You try to put Him in a box, He'll jump out of it every time. He'll leave you holding nothing but the tradition of where He was. Amen. Hey, I got a surprise for you. God loves you and He loves me and we are as different as night and day. 
We all have our quirks, hang-ups, idiosyncrasies, and yet God loves us all. So don't ever get caught up in the foolishness of being so particular about what kind of songs are worse that we use in the worship music. Just worship God. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. I had my say on that. Amen. <laughs> I got to put that in every once in a while. Be like, I like that song, but I don't like that one. I like that one. I don't like that one. Love them all. Amen. Let's talk about the highest praise. Psalms 146, 1 and 2. It says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Here King David, he vows to praise God his whole life long. He says, as long as I live, I'm going to sing praise to God. In other words, until I take my last breath on this earth, I'm going to declare with my mouth, my lips, and my tongue, I'm going to declare that God is great and that I love Him and I appreciate Him and I'm going to use everything within me to praise the Lord. David knew that it was God who had given him life and breath. He also knew that it was only right that he should use what God had blessed him with to praise his Creator. I wonder how many of us would be able to, able to see that being simply alive is reason enough to praise the Lord. The breath that you breathe today is reason enough to praise the Lord. In fact, King James translates this last part of the scripture says, while I have my being, and the word being is translated spirit, breath, wind. So David said, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. And David's praise was not based on his circumstances. He was not always up. He was sometimes down, but his circumstances did not dictate to him how or whether he was going to praise the Lord. It was a conscious choice that he made. If I'm alive, if I'm breathing, I'm praising. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Psalm 717, I will sing praise to the name of the, most, the Lord Most High. The Lord Most High, the highest praise and the highest place belongs to the Most High God. Our circumstances should never dictate our praise. Let me prove it with this next scripture. Job 121. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Psalms 34.1. I will bless the Lord at all times. When? I will bless the Lord at when? At all times. And his praise shall continually all the time be in my mouth and my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Most people want to tell you how great they are and what they're doing and where they're going and where they've been and where they're coming from. But the Lord, the Bible says here, I'll make my boast. I'm going to talk about the Lord. Why? Because he said, let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Amen. You cannot ever make God any bigger than he is, but you can make him bigger in your heart. Because when you begin to magnify him and begin to praise him, you lift him up. You lift him up. You lift him up. He's worthy and he's worthy and he's worthy. And when you do that, you begin to feel the power and the glory of God begin to move in your heart. I felt it today when I was singing that song. Every time we said, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up, lift him up. I need a ladder. I want to get higher. Glory to God. And as I begin to lift him up, I begin to feel the anointing of the power and the glory of God until, I, like I said, I'll have to step down out of the clouds to preach this message. Glory to God. So Job and David, they're saying that there'll never come a time in a person's life that's going to give you a reason to stop praising God. Never a time, never a circumstance to stop praising God. He said in Psalms 30 and 11, he said, you turn my wailing into dancing. I love that. He was wailing but God turned his wailing 
into dancing. He said, you removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. Sackcloth. I think of a potato sack. He took the potato sack off my body and he gave me clothes of joy. Hallelujah. And that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks forever. No wonder the guy was a guy after God's own heart. No wonder. He was a praiser in every sense of the word. God loves a praiser. Everybody say that. God loves a praiser. His whole being got involved in worship. His feet, his hands, his mouth. I dare say his body gyrated under the influence of the Shekinah. Hallelujah. Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost goosebumps danced across his skin and warm fuzzy feelings caressed his soul as he worshiped God. You try to say that, amen? One time David's wife got so embarrassed when, she, when her husband was worshiping God, he said, honey, I'm just getting warmed up here. I just put my shouting shoes on, amen. If you read the actual text in 2 Samuel chapter 6, you'll find that he shouted and danced so hard he became unclothed. He shouted his clothes on. Now, I hope I don't have to worry about that with anybody here. I don't think so. You don't look like you're in any kind of shape of, get, of shouting your clothes off right now. Hallelujah. Keep your clothes on, Ethel. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> David said, I will play music before the Lord, and I'll be even more undignified than this. He said, I'm going to get undignified. He said, you're going to worry about what in the world's happened to him. What is going on? In other words, baby, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to worship and praise God because he has brought me out of wailing. He has gave me dancing in my shoes. Hallelujah. And I'm going to worship my God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, when we live a life of praise, we get tuned in to the frequency of heaven. Have you ever noticed that sometimes when you start to pray, prayer may start out, it may be a little uncomfortable, it may be a little strained, but it's simply because you're trying to get tuned in, tuned in to heaven's frequency. Remember the old analog radios? You had to tune the knob until you could tune in the station that would drown out the static. Even some of the first TVs, you had to adjust the rabbit ears to get a picture. That's what we do. We pray. We start meditating on the Lord. We start talking to Him. And I'll tell you what, after a while, you'll be speaking another tongue, and you'll praise and glorify God in a while, and then you'll speak in a deeper tongue, and then you'll praise and worship God for a while, and then you'll start talking in some kind of African language, or you'll be talking in some Indian language. You'll be, hey, ha, 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 and you don't know what in the world you're saying, but my friend, you have went deep, is calling unto deep, and the glory of God. God is working in your heart and you're being transformed by the renewing of the power of God that's on the inside of you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. You ever experienced that, my friend? Get on your knees and start praying. Determine yourself to stay an hour or two and my friend, you will go deep and deep and deep until the glory of God will move upon you like you have never felt before. Hallelujah. I'm about to lose my dignity. Glory to God. But praise comes in a variety. God loves variety. It comes vocal. We sing. We shout. We get loud. So why don't he be a little more dignified? Because we're worshiping. And it's audible. We clap. We use instruments. It's visible. We raise our hands. We dance. We kneel. Praise is Powerful. It's a full body experience. Glory to God. You go to a spa, you want a full body experience. When you come to the house of God, you want a full body experience. 
You want to know that you have been massaged and moved and the power of God has moved on you. I love what Archimedes said. He said, give me a lever long enough and a place to stand and I'll move the earth. Wow. I read that. I thought, what a concept. Break that down. A lever. A lever is used for leverage, but it needs two resources. A reference point for the lever and then the lever itself. So here we go. Our reference, a unchanging, unstoppable, unmovable word of God is our fulcrum point. Amen. And so the leverage is the praise of Almighty God that comes out of our heart. And as we think about God's word and we pray God's word and the praise of God comes out of our heart, my friend, things begin to happen and things begin to move. Glory to God. Walls begin to crumble and light pours in. Roads are built into places where there was once no access. We begin to tear down the strongholds of the enemy that is built in our lives. We overcome criticism, complaining, competing, comparing. We become more grateful for what we do have and stop worrying about what we don't have. And in everything, we believe that God is working all things together for our good because we are giving praise and glory to God for everything that's going on on in our lives hallelujah you get that kind of praise going on in your life the devil's not going to hang around he's going to run run like crazy listen heaven bends low when praises rise to the most high they bend low to receive the praises of God's people it's amazing what praising can do like prayer, praise has the awesome ability to change things. Glory to God. Over a hundred years ago, in the city of London, a young preacher carried the message of the gospel to the poor, the down and out, the oppressed people of London. As a result of his ministry, he formed a little group of people and he called them the Hallelujah Band, in which they would stand on the street corners, they'd play and they'd sing praise music and they'd preach the gospel. This new style of preaching quickly reached the mainstream denominal hierarchy of the church. As a result, this newfound preacher was called before the conference of religious leaders who gave him a challenge. They said, William Booth, will you, will you go where we tell you to go? Will you do what we tell you to do? Because if you do not go where we tell you to go and do what we tell you to do, you will not be in this church any longer. In fact, we will excommunicate you from this church. Sitting in the balcony was Booth's wife, Catherine. She stood up and she shouted, William, say no, say no. <laughs> and Booth followed the orders of his wife. <laughs> and what was in his heart, what he was already thinking, he said, no, no, a thousand times no. We will sing and we will give praise to God wherever we go. And that affirmation, my friend, changed the course of history in Great Britain, in many parts of the world forever. This William and Catherine Booth formed the Salvation, of our Salvation Army, which has given help for both body and soul for over 100 years. That original vision and dream of the Booths has helped people around the globe through their hallelujah band. Glory to God. Hallelujah. One of the famous Salvation Army songs, I love this, went like this. It says, the Salvation Army has a right to beat the drum, the tambourine, the banjo to make the devil run. Come join our army and get the gospel gun. Shoot it at the devil if you want to see him run. <laughs> Can you imagine a group of people on the street corner singing something like that? I imagine it would upset the hierarchy. 
If you want to put the devil on the run, you start praising God, you start quoting scripture, he's going to run, he's going to wail like a banshee anticipates death. Glory to God. Go look that up in the dictionary, you'll know what I'm talking about. Then the psalmist <laughs> inserts a precaution for us to remember. He said, the highest precaution, 146 and 3, do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. And when their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Here's the precaution. He's saying to them, don't trust in kings, princes, mortal men, because they're just like us. They have a tendency to falter, fail, and make mistakes. He understood that the king's job was to protect, provide, support, and defend the people of his kingdom. But he also understood that every king and prince and leader comes into power with an expiration date on his head. Everyone dies when their spirit departs. Then all their bright ideas for tomorrow become tomorrow's clearance items. Notice he used the phrase, returns to the earth. He was showing us that he understood Genesis 3.19 that says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from whence from whence you came, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. In that verse we can see Adam came from the earth, and to the earth he was going to return. Regardless of how many acres, barns, homes that you have, when you die, the only thing you have left is the hole you're buried in. Regardless of a person's character, integrity, humility, brilliance, leadership abilities, compassion, whatever, everybody returns to the earth. So David was saying, to those leaders, be careful who you put your trust in. Don't trust in man. Don't trust in horses. Trust in the living God. Hallelujah. And so he said in verse 4, you are my king and my God. You command victories for Israel. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only by your power can we push back our enemies. Only in your name can we trample our foes. I do not trust in my bow. I do not count on my sword to save me. You are the one who gives us victory over our enemies. You disgrace those who hate us. Oh God, we give glory to you all day long and constantly we pray. Praise your name because he understood where his help came from. Hallelujah. So many times those Israelites, starting with Abraham, followed by his son Isaac, the whole Exodus generation, so many others, every time they got in trouble, they wanted to go back to Egypt. Why don't we just go back to Egypt? Egypt was a type of the world. And we are sometimes like that. Every time we have a problem, every time something goes wrong, First place we say, well, I'm leaving church. I'm going to go back to the world. I'm going to cut off God. But when things go wrong in your life, don't cut off God. He's your only help. Instead of running from God, you ought to run to God. Hallelujah. I tell you what, when things go wrong, don't make the mistake of running to the world because the world's not going to help you. The world's going to just watch you fall. Run to the feet of Jesus and let him help you. King David points to his people. He gets them in the right direction. He, the right direction. He wants to show them how to allow the praises to catch the wind of blessing. He says, remember the promises of God. When we remember and we're reminded of God's promises, it is like raising the sails on a boat. Amen. As the praises like sails are hoisted toward the skies, they catch the wind of God's blessings. Hallelujah. And so we have the highest praise. He said, blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful. How long? 
forever and ever. Notice he said the God of Jacob. The God of Jacob is actually mentioned 12 times in the Psalms. Why? Well, briefly, if you want to go over the story of Jacob, Jacob was a son of Isaac and Rebekah. He deceived his father, cheated his brothers, married more than once, had trouble with his in-laws, had a lot of imperfect sons, planned, plotted more than he prayed. So the reason that David mentions the God of Jacob in his songs is probably because he was a lot like us. <laughs> Amen. And it says that God, he was the God of Jacob, even with all of his problems. You might have been married more than once, kids imperfect, trouble with the in-laws, planned, plotted more than you pray. I could go on and on. We all have plenty of problems in life. But if you identify with any of these things, then I've got good news for you. God has made a career out of helping people like this get their lives back in shape and bless them and make them happy once again. Glory to God. Put your faith and your hope in the Lord. He will not let you down. He upholds the cause of the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow. But he frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Your God, O Zion, are for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. God wants to be the highest one in our life. He wants to have the highest place in our life. And he deserves it because he's the one that gives us all these wonderful things. Amen. 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 said, the Lord will reign forever. Kings and kingdoms and governments, they all rise and fall. But God will always be on the throne. Amen. In monarchies, there's always someone next in line for the throne. But nobody's in line for God's throne. He's sovereign king. He's the king of the universe. He's the almighty heavenly father. He not only rules the nations and the universe, but he also rules our lives. According to Ephesians 1, 18 through 23, 2, 4 through 10, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, here's what it says. We are on his lap as he sits on his throne. I would love to have read those scriptures to you. I went over them several times this week. They're so powerful because they let us know that he's on the throne and we're on his lap. Read it for yourself. Hallelujah. Hebrews 4.14, his throne is a throne of grace. And he said we can come boldly before the throne of grace and find help in the time of need. In fact, we don't even have to wait for God's heavenly kingdom to come before we start reigning with him now. Matthew 19.28, Revelation 22.5, Romans 5.20 tells us that his grace reigns right now in our hearts while we are alive. And to know Christ is to already have eternal life right now in our lives. Woo, I'm having a hard time holding this. Glory to God. Powerful to think that we are with him. Walking and reigning every day. Hallelujah. He said, you're a chosen generation. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood, royal kingship, priesthood, royal priesthood. Hallelujah. Holy nation, peculiar people. Hallelujah. Therefore, we ought to show forth what? The praises of him who brought us out of darkness into this marvelous life. Who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Who were not a people, but now were the people of God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I appreciate the Lord today. He is so good. He is so good. Hallelujah. I want to finish this sermon today talking about the highest place. When Jesus was finishing up his earthly pilgrimage, it was six days before his crucifixion. 
he decided to have dinner with his closest friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. A lot of activity was going on in the kitchen because they were getting ready for a big dinner. Martha was busy preparing the dinner, and Lazarus was relaxing with the invited guests, but Mary was at the feet of Jesus. This particular time, she was not there just listening to his words of wisdom, but this time she was doing something that was highly unusual, but it was her way of showing him how much he meant to her. She brought in a pint of her very expensive perfume, probably perfume that she had saved for her day, for her wedding day. You know how you do perfume, you just put a little spot, you take your finger and you turn it over and you put it on your, you know, your neck or maybe on your hands. You just, very expensive perfume, you just don't pour that stuff out. It's very expensive, so you just dab a little here and dab a little there. But on this day, she took that very expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet, the whole bottle on his feet, and then she wiped his feet with her hair. As Mary broke open her bottle, the perfume poured out on Jesus' feet and the aroma scent floated throughout the house. I can imagine filling every room. And Judas the betrayer was also in the house. Whenever he smelt that expensive aroma, it drew him out of his room. He came up and as he walked into the room, his eyes instantly widened with disdain as he looked upon what was happening. Mary pouring out this perfume on the feet of Jesus. With condescension in his voice, Judas barked, that perfume was worth a fortune. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. And then John, the writer, adds this little Judas character explanation note. He says, not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. You see, Judas, he knew the price of everything, but he knew the value of nothing. For three years, Judas had been a part of Jesus' inner circle. He traveled the dusty roads, following in Christ's footsteps, witnessing amazing miracles, and he heard the words of life as they fell from the lips of the Son of God. Those who watched at a distance probably thought Judas was the real deal. He seemed so pious, so spiritual. But the truth was, Judas wasn't what he, what he pretended to be. He was selfish, cynical, duplicitous. He pretended to love Jesus, but all he really cared about was his position, his possessions, and his power. Jesus had a word for people like that. Religious people whose character wasn't consistent with their creed. Over and over throughout the gospel, he called them hypocrites. The word hypocrite actually comes from the Greek theater. Hypocrites was the Greek word for actors who wore masks and performed on stage. What, what's really sad is that according to a study conducted by Life, right, Lifeway Research, 70% of people surveyed believe that churches are full of hypocrites. Of course, I like what Zig Ziglar said. He said he invited a friend to church one day, and the friend said, I would come, but everybody knows the church is full of hypocrites. And Zig responded, oh, it's okay. There's always room for one more. <laughs> but right or wrong, if you're a Christian, you ought to know that your neighbors and your co-workers have their hypocrisy radar on. They're scanning your lives 24-7. What are they looking for? False holiness standards or a holier-than-thou attitude. In other words, saying one thing but doing something else. And when they observe you, what are they picking up on their radar screens? When they're scanning your life, what do they see? Because the truth is, when God-hungry souls walk into a congregation of wannabe pretenders, they know it. They know it. They can sense it. They can smell it. They can see it. 
And few things can repel a person from God as efficiently as an insincere, insincere Christian or an inauthentic church. Nothing turns them away but when they see something like that. So if you are a worldly, hypocritical Christian today, half in, half out, half up, half down, can't make up your mind whether you want to live for God or not, today's a good day to take the mask off. Take a look at yourself in the mirror. Be honest with yourself and with God and with everybody else. Trust me, you don't want to end up like Judas. A much better example to follow is the one that Mary left. An example that identifies Mary as a worshiper at the feet of Jesus. Mary didn't try to defend herself. Jesus did it for her. With the same fire in his eyes that he had when he turned over the tables in the temple, he responded, why are you criticizing her as he spoke to Judas? For she has done a good thing to me. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. When I read that, I, I read between the lines there. And as he's speaking that to Judah, I, Judas, I thought, think of that. All of his life, all he did for three and a half years was give, 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 give. He was always giving out, healing the sick, raising the dead, opening blinded eyes, feeding 5,000, doing all these things for everybody continuously. And I tried to think of one time that he ever received anything back for himself. I couldn't think of one. Maybe there's one, but I couldn't think of one. But here this one time, just before he's going to his burial, he allows Mary to do this act of washing his feet with her hair. Says so she has poured this perfume on me to prepare me for my burial. He knew what was coming. And she will always be remembered for this deed. And I saw that she will always be remembered for this deed. And I thought, you know, even when he was in the garden and wrestling back and forth, the Bible said, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thine be done. And he prayed so deeply and so hard. It said the, the sweat dropped from his forehead like blood. It was so thick. And he went out to his disciples, found them asleep, went back the second time, prayed again the same, went to his disciples, found them asleep, went back and prayed the same three times. You can see the humanity in Jesus as he's wrestling with this cup, this cup of going to the cross. And it says, she did this and she will always be remembered for this deed. I'm sure in that hour, one of the things he thought about was the fact that here was a soul at his feet in humility that was washing his feet and he could no doubt see through her the thousands and millions that would come to Christ and would kneel at his feet and would pour out everything in their heart and say I'm going to give you the highest praise and the highest place in my life and it drove him on to the cross because of what he could see in Mary and what he could see in you and I. The story of what, has, what she has done will be told throughout the whole world wherever the good news is preached. And here today, we fulfill that prophecy. Jesus sat at his feet. She sat at his feet, listening to his every word. She fell at his feet, sharing her woes. And now she kneels at his feet, sharing, showing his worth. She loved Jesus so much. And she had better insight than many of the men that followed him. Do you ever think about that? I don't see any men doing that. And they followed him for three years. She sensed that as he rode into Jerusalem the next morning, he would be riding to his death. She sensed that he was going to die. And she somehow had a revelation knowledge 
that he was going to be dying for her sins. And so she wanted to express her love, show his worth in this most extravagant way that she possibly could. She sought out her most expensive possession, an alabaster jar of perfume worth a year's salary. Worth a year's salary. And she broke it open. And she used it to anoint Jesus' feet, drying them with her hair. For Mary, no sacrifice was too expensive and no service was too embarrassing. Oh, precious saint of God today, Jesus is worth the highest praise and the highest place in your life. Amen. Think about how much you make in a year. Imagine pouring every penny of it out at the feet of Jesus. You say, no way. Mary did. But even if Mary could have gathered all the wealth and all the riches of the world and put them in her jar and poured them on Jesus' feet, it would not have been a waste. You can't give Jesus too much. You can't outgive the Lord. He's worth all that you have and so much more. During those times when the Christian walks gets tough, and I know it does, when you feel like you're spinning your wheels, when people get you down, they disappoint you, when all your efforts seem to go without results, and when you try and try and seem to be getting nowhere, when you feel like throwing in the towel, when you feel like dropping out of the race, when you feel like you can't give anymore, and when you feel used, abused, and unappreciated, just remember, Jesus knows how you feel. And he's been there, and he cares for you more than you can even imagine. He loves you, and he cares for you. He deserves the highest place in our life. He's worth our time. He's worth our effort. He's worth all the pain, all the frustration. Nothing we ever do for the glory and the honor of Jesus is ever a waste. You can never give too much of your life, too much of your time, or your talents, or your treasure to Jesus. In heaven, the angels sing, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Jesus is worth more than all. In fact, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, forever and ever, they're around the throne praising and glorifying the King of kings because he's worthy of all the praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. How much is he worth to you this morning? How much is he worth to you? The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. No feet have ever trodden the earth that are more beautiful than the feet of Jesus. None are more beautiful than the feet of Jesus. And let me say this, amazing things happen at the feet of Jesus. Amazing things. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus this morning, what's going on in your life. But Mary teaches us it doesn't matter. All she knew was, there's feet. I have perfume. I love Jesus. I want to show him how much I love him. To his feet she went, poured out all she had, and washed his feet, wiped his feet with her hair. Hallelujah. As the praise and worship team come back, I'd like to leave this last thought with you today. Just like Martha, Judas, and Mary, how you live your life, how you live your life, your lifestyle how you live your life. Don't watch them, watch me, okay? 
Sometimes when I call them, oh, okay, well, they're going over there and they're going over there. They're going to the same places they always go to, okay? <laughs> so how you live your life will one day be a testimony. And it is actually a testimony every day of how much you love Jesus. How you live your life is a reflection of how much you love Jesus. Did you know that? You say, well, that's simple. Well, it's simple, but it's true. It's true. Whenever you're in that relationship, I want to invite you to join Mary at the feet of Jesus. Pour out your heart, your love, your worship, your life, your soul. Pour out everything because, like I said, amazing things happen at the feet of Jesus.